I like to speak about Bhutanusati, which is you know consists of two words, Buddha, of course, and Anusati is a reflection or recollection on the meaning of the qualities of the Buddha. And that you know is is a bit difficult to teach in a non-Buddhist country setting. Like most of you, you know, have been brought up in a Christian influenced country and uh, so it's maybe a little bit more difficult for you to relate to it and to really you know feel that sense of devotion but it's just good you know to know about it and uh, in the Tibetan tradition there's and also in the Mahayana tradition they are using a lot that kind of uh, you know visualizing or imagining a Buddha, female or male Buddha, and the qualities and the, the glory, you know, of how they look. And using that <coughs> as a samadhi practice and also at the same time as a means, you know, to uplift the mind and the heart. And, you know, generally speaking, uh, you know, visualizing the Buddha or remembering the Buddha is using an external image to put us in touch with our own internal qualities, with our own true nature, the true refuge, which is awareness. The Buddha himself, you know, the historical Buddha is just a role model for us. Or the Kuan Yin here, or then I am sitting under a tanka here is the Vajrasattva. You know, they are all kind of role models or reminders for our own capacity for full awakening of, full awakening to our own awareness. So it helps us to dissolve, you know, everything which stands in the way of recognizing that capacity we all share and purify our ignorance about the fact that we have that innate capacity too. We don't need to project all of the power out onto a teacher or onto the Buddha. We can actually remember we have it too, and the teacher and the Buddha are just there to reflect that back to us. Just like a parent, you know, reflects back to the child that they can grow up, that they can do all kinds of things. So we recognize in ourselves the very Buddha in whom we take refuge. And that's the essence of all practices, to develop that confidence in our own capacity and to dismantle and dissolve everything which stands in the way of that confidence. So, you know, to have that feeling, yes, you know, I can do this too. And it starts with faith and, and devotion into a role model or into an idea, in a symbol, in an image. And then, you know, that brings a sense of joy and uplifts the heart and the mind, gets the energy going. And then, you know, we use that for practice and become more and more confident in that because we know the Buddha was a human being just like us he wasn't a divinity or some kind of special god you know he was a human being like us 
And that's very important not to forget. But at the same time also being aware that he has realized the absolute, realized the ultimate, realized, you know, the deathless or Nibbana. So not to minimize the accomplishment, but at the same time not to forget that he was also a human being and bring both of those sides together. That's the art of that practice, you know, because we can easily get lost on one side. And here in the West, you know, we, we underestimate the power of inspiration and devotion because there has been also a lot of misuse, a lot of abuse has happened in that regard. And then we need to be careful not to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Because, you know, this radical pulling away of all myth and of not allowing the sense of wonder and awe to come up is a real loss to us, you know. And uh, with this practice, maybe we can bring that back into our lives and, uh, you know, oil the wheels a little bit because it can't get too dry and find the middle between those two extremes. Be creative and see, you know, what works for me, what works for you, to bring that sense of joyful wonder and opening, you know. Like a child, you know, a child in front of a Christmas tree. You know, you know how they look. Wow, the man just stops and there is so much joy and buoyancy, you know. We can use that too, but not getting lost in it, but using it, you know, for uplift, using it for opening. And we can do that by by just, you know, imagining what it would, would be like to have a mind like a Buddha, to just allow that thought even. You know, and, and remembering, you know, the Buddha has has been such a huge influence for, for the good on this planet. Millions of people have benefited from his teaching. It's inconceivable, you know, what he has been able to bring. The vast depths of the accomplishment and, you know, open our mind to that. And to the unbroken chain of transmission, you know, which is going on since over 2,600 years. An unbroken chain of transmission, that's huge. And we are, you know, the recipients and the benefit, benef beneficiaries now. So that's amazing. And, uh, you know, the mind of a Buddha can be compared with a cloudless sky, you know. And whatever moves through it is known and not grasped. Whereas our minds are like very cloudy skies and there's a lot of grasping going on. But under the clouds, there's always the sky. <coughs> and we can work with the clouds by looking through them. And I remember I've once lived in the Sunset District of San Francisco for a few years at the beginning of the monastery and... Over the summertime, we had like a completely overclouded sky for about three months every summer. And 
it looked like maybe there's no sky be underneath the clouds, but they're always, you know, when the time came, it opened up and it was there. And so it's with our own experience of our own mind. We have that same capacity. And the uh, Buddha Nusati, you know, works with nine qualities of the Buddha, which uh, we have a chant in our chanting book. I think it's part of the evening chanting. It's called Itipiso. The chant is quite a famous chant. And it lists the nine qualities of the Buddha. And in the meditation, then we, we visualize the Buddha and, and bring up the qualities and reflect on the qualities and let that reflection, you know, do its magic for the mind, open the mind, or maybe, you know, put the mind in a state of awe. And, uh, you know, visualizing the Buddha to be present, either, you know, through visualization or feeling him to be present can also help and support the mind in that. Uh, practice and then we can you know go over those qualities again and again like cycling through it and it's a kind of a samadhi practice which has also the benefit of uplift in a way similar to the metta meditation which is also a samadhi practice but at the same time it also uplifts and opens brings a joy you know this is the force of the seven factors of awakening and, you know, once the joy has arisen, then the mind becomes calm because it feels enriched. And when it becomes calm, it settles and gets stable. And when it's stable, it, it, it has equipoise. So that's, you know, how the practice really supports the mind in uh, settling and opening. And then this natural sequence of the seven factors of awakening just takes place. We don't need to push for it, you know. But the joy is the factor which brings the settling. And I'm now going to go through those nine qualities so that you get an idea. And... Uh, Maybe I should just shortly do the chant. So you, you hear the traditional chant in Pali of those nine qualities. It's a very short chant. Iti piso bhagava arahang samma samputo vicha charana sampano sukato loka vitu anuttaro purisatamma sarati sata Deva Manusanang Bhutto Bhagavati. And then we can start again. Itipiso. It's just like a cycling. And it also concentrates the mind. And those nine qualities I was just chanting, they're like a springboard for the mind. And they consist of five internal qualities of the Buddha. The Buddha is a reliable teacher five internal qualities he had and four external qualities, how he has been interacting with others. And let me just go through them. So the first one is Arahang, which means uh, complete purity, has completely eliminated all greed, ill will and delusion from the mind. 
never to arise again. Fully purified and liberated from samsara, that's the first quality, arahang. And the second one is sama samputo, which is, means perfectly enlightened, fully awakened without a teacher, fully understanding all dhammas, able to teach all the dhammas, complete wisdom. The next one is vichacharana sampano, means perfect knowledge and understanding and perfect conduct and virtue. So mas a complete mastery of that and also complete mastery in meditation. <coughs> Next one is Sugato, which means well gone, fully gone along the Noble Eightfold Path and reached the goal of Nibbana. Next one is Lokavidu, which means knower of the world, has fully understood all of the worlds and all of the realms internally and externally. And internally there would be, you know, the, the five aggregates, the six sense bases, all those different ways of investigating. And externally it would be all the different realms, the human realm, the heavenly realms, the lower realms, having understood all of those and know, knowing all of those. So that's the five internal qualities which make the Buddha reliable teacher and guide. And then the four external qualities of how the Buddha interacts with others and how he can teach and guide others because of that. The first one is Anuttaro Purisa Dhamma Sarati, which means unsurpassed teacher and trainer of people to be trained, understands their capacity, disposition and attitude and can guide them. Next one is Sata Deva Manusanang, teacher of beings in the heavenly realms, the Devas, and also in the human realm. Next one, Bhutto, the awakened one, the enlightened one, who can also awaken others, the awakener of beings. Bhutto. And the next one, Bhagawa means the blessed one. He has fulfilled all of the other qualities based on his great compassion. So his motivation was the great compassion. And over countless lifetimes, you know, he has developed those qualities. And this word Bhagavan is still used today, for example, in India, you know, to refer to some accomplished uh, beings. They are called Bhagavan. And in the scriptures, the Buddha is often, you know, called Bhagava, and he refers to himself often as the Tathagata, but others refer to him as Bhagavan. The canon doesn't use the word Buddha very much. And the Bhagava, you know, speaks about the complete compassion of the Buddha. And when we do the meditation, we are using just three of those nine qualities. Take three out of them and then use them, you know, over and over again as a samadhi practice, which also uplifts. And then, you know, when we feel the mind is in, is in a good state, you know, we can just drop it and just sit. 
And we can do that kind of a practice at the beginning, you know, just maybe for 10 minutes at the beginning of the session, when if the mind is, is a bit dull or not very, you're not very inspired to meditate, we can use it to kick it off, so to say. And then after 10 minutes, you can just drop it or you can use it for a whole session. And the three qualities we're picking out is the first one would be Arahang, complete purity. You know, we can visualize the, the face of the Buddha and see the complete purity. And then the next one is Sama Sambuto, complete wisdom. Maybe, you know, looking, at, looking in the eyes of the Buddha and seeing the, the knowledge and the confidence that he knows. He knows that he knows. Sama Sambuto, perfectly enlightened. And then the third one, Bhagawa, complete compassion. You know, looking at the life of the Buddha, where he has been, you know, wandering around in India for over 40 years, when he was already very old, to teach. And then just again, Arahang, complete purity. Sama, Samputo, complete wisdom. Bhagawa, complete compassion. And then going over and over that, you know, allowing the mind to be uplifted in that way and then dropping it and just sitting. So that's, you know, the guidelines for that kind of a practice. And uh, the, you know, refuge of Buddha, as I've mentioned a few times already, it's the first one of the three refuges. And uh, each of the refuges has a conventional and an ultimate side to it the buddha you know the conventional buddha the historic buddha who has lived 2650 years ago is someone we can remember as a mirror for our own capacity to awaken and also as the one you know who has uh, left us this very precious teaching and we are now at the you know, receiving end of it after so many years over 2650 years it's it's amazing. So that alone is very uplifting, I think. And then at the same time also it refers to our own capacity for awakening. Awareness, very simple awareness. Just knowing rather than becoming. And then the second refuge is the refuge of Dhamma, which are the instructions which we have inherited from the Buddha. And the way things truly are. Laws of nature. It's like, you know, uh, uh, the recipes for cooking. You know, you could say the cooking recipes. How to cook yourself. How to completely transform and change yourself. And the Sangha is, you know, all wholehearted practitioners who benefit from the teaching and in particular, you know, all those who have had insight on the four stages of awakening, starting with stream mantra, going up to Arahant, fully awakened. So those three, you know, refugees are the foundation stone of the practice and they point us in the right direction. They're like a GPS, you know, pointing us in the right direction. When we get confused, when we get 
challenged, when we get triggered on the path, if we can come back to the refuges, that's like makes all of the difference. We still have problems, we still have difficulties in life, but we know how to meet them. And that's as good as it gets, really. And then over time, we become more, more and more confident in using the refuges for meeting whatever happens in a way which leads to greater freedom and to greater insight. In transforming all obstacles into opportunities. And, uh, you know, and then the obstacles are no longer in the path, but the obstacles are the path. And that's, you know, the real fully integrated life. When no longer anything, you know, is considered to be taking us away from the practice, but it's a, it's a, it's a wake-up bell. I can practice with this too. So it's it's really about faith in the Buddha and faith in our own capacities. And recognizing in ourselves the very Buddha in whom we take refuge. You know, bringing those ever more together and in the end, it's all one. There is no more difference. Because the essence of the practice is being aware and having complete confidence in the awareness of what is. So I think that's basically, in a nutshell, you know, what this practice is all about. And, you know, some of you might have never done that practice, so just give it a try and see, you know, if you find it helpful. And if, if you don't find it helpful, then uh, at least, you know, you, you know it for yourself and maybe at another time it, it might come in handy, you know, who knows when the time comes. And some of the practices suddenly, you know, speak to us. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.